It's midnight in America, and this is the Hour of Decision. My name is Lou Moore. Hour of Decision is produced by News for America at newsforamerica.org. Tonight, what can you talk about? What are you allowed to talk about? Do you know what moving the Overton window is? Have you heard that phrase a lot recently? We're going to talk about it tonight. But I'm going to start out with a question. What has Donald Trump's impact been? What has his impact been beyond policies, beyond the fact that we were energy independent for a little while in this country? The fact that we, to a great degree, shut off illegal immigration across our southern border and actually had Mexico participating and that securing uh, of our border. Beyond the policy issues, I would argue that one of the things that Donald Trump has been in terms of impact is a change in the party system. We've already talked about it. The fact that the basic fundamental underpinnings, philosophic underpinnings of the Republican Party have changed. And I think to a degree in reaction the underpinnings of the Democratic Party. They may not have changed, but they've at least revealed themselves. Certainly, our opposition has revealed themselves in their violent reaction, uh, the rioting that we saw in 2020, uh, the rioting that we saw right after Donald Trump won the election and took office in 2016. I would say Donald Trump reminded Republicans about winning about about having the hope and faith that they can win to take more make the, making them bold to take more aggressive action to win as i said i think he revealed our enemies the deep state fake news those two two word phrases deep state and fake news have a lot of meaning today to a lot of americans and tell a lot of truth that wasn't the case before donald trump but one of the, the biggest impacts I would argue that Donald Trump has had is he's given a giant push to what they call the Overton window. Overton window explained as a range of policies acceptable to the mainstream population at any given time. It's also been known as the window of discourse. So what are we talking about here? In other words, at any given time, there's really only there's only a range of things that you can talk about that are acceptable enough to the general populace that that there is an impact that you're not just marginalized and ex, as an extremist uh, to bring those things up. I'll give you an example. In the year 2000, I had a meeting in Washington D.C. with a promising congressional candidate. And some lobbyists, including the head Boeing lobbyist for Washington State. Uh, Boeing has hundreds of lobbyists, but they have one in particular that monitors uh, the activities within Washington State and the governmental activity in the state. And so they interviewed this candidate, and he left. And this lobbyist from Boeing turned to me and said, he used the word socialist. Isn't that kind of quaint? You can't use the word socialist 
when you're running for public office. It just sounds too extreme. And I kind of went back and forth with this individual, but the fact was, in the year 2000, there were not top-targeted Republican-Democratic candidates for Congress for the U.S. Senate. Uh, There were not people considered in the hunt to win their races that were using the word socialist. Well, guess what? It's used all the time now. It's used all the time by people on our side of the fence, on our side of the football. That's a movement of the Overton window in terms of using the word, the label socialist, in mainstream political discourse used by people who could win or who do win uh, races in American politics. So that's a good example. Talking about globalism and one world government, those were also topics that 20 years ago, maybe even to a degree 10, 15, 10 years ago, uh, those, I mean, there were people talking about them, surely. I mean, Alex Jones was talking about them. The John Birch Society was talking about them. But candidates for Republican nominees for Congress, uh, for an example, were not talking about that openly in any regard. And there still might be some shyness about talking about it today. But to a great extent, the Overton window has been opened up enough that you could talk about the fact that the business of the World Economic Forum is to produce, eventually, a great, a great reset leading to world government. That's not, that's not that controversial today. You know, at one time, it was difficult to even talk about economics as a, as a policymaker, as a politician in America, outside of the paradigm of Keynesian economics. We've, we've touched on Keynesian economics on this podcast, but essentially it was the idea that government spending and debts are perfectly fine if they're kept, kept within certain bounds, and that when there was any economic problems, the best way to solve uh, a major problem in the economy was to prime the pump, which was to pump a bunch of money into the economic system. That was kind of the essence of Keynesian economics, the forerunner of modern uh, economic, uh, modern monetary theory that people around Joe Biden are using now and is one of the reasons we're about $2 trillion further in debt uh, at least every year, if not even at a more accelerated pace than that of massive government spending. So anyway, at one time, uh, you know, talking about Austrian economics, talking about free market, even uh, the economics of Alan Greenspan, or and uh, excuse me, of Milton Friedman, I meant to say, it's called monetary. And now I'm forgetting the monetary theory of Milton Friedman. Monetarists were what they were called. Uh, that's a word I was looking for. Monetarists. That was outside the bounds to a great degree of political discourse. You could talk about it at a university. You could talk about it in a political meeting of you know an ideologically-based political meeting. You can talk about it at the Foundation for Economic Education, uh, which is a, still an existent libertarian organization back East. But you didn't, you didn't really talk about it in a debate, let's say, on television against your opponent for U.S. Senate from Illinois, as an example. You didn't do that at one time. But, but th- that broke down uh, in the 90s, I would argue. 
And another example from my uh, career, another congressional candidate, the year was uh, 2002. We were talking about a slogan for this candidate, very promising candidate. And I wanted to use America first, the term America first. I think I said, let's make our, the slogan to put on her signs, make America first again. And everyone just looked at me at this campaign meeting, media consultant, pollster, other people involved with this campaign and said, no way. You can't say, you can't say America first. Sounds too radical. Sounds like isolationism out of the 1930s. You can't say that. Well, obviously you can't say it now. And a whole lot of people use that phrase. Perfectly acceptable and common parlance today, if not adhered to by a large number of people in politics. So that's yet one more example of the Overton window opening up and changing what we can talk about. So what happens with this Overton window and what happens with this, this whole phenomena of opening up the new phraseology and new ideas is there gets to be a pent-up demand. Well, what we're being told is not the truth or is not the whole truth. And that's exactly what happened uh, when Donald Trump walked onto the scene in 2016. And I gave you some examples of where the Overton window was opening on a number of issues before he arrived, but he really blew the doors off, so to speak. And this process is continuing. So now I'm going to give you a much more controversial example. Martin Luther King Jr. Just a few years ago, you couldn't say a word uh, against the legacy, uh, against Martin Luther King Jr., if you were considered in any way mainstream. And it's still very controversial to talk about him in a negative light today. But Charlie Kirk's doing it on a national radio show, national television show. And more people are listening to him all the time. And he's not the only one who is, because there's now a number of black voices in America that are telling the truth about Martin Luther King Jr. And let me tell you, when you can't challenge any of the assumptions or any of the behavior of the civil rights movement of the 1960s, at some point you end up with Black Lives Matter. Because if you're not able to call out things that are wrong in an area, they're going to get a lot more wrong. And that's exactly what happened with the Marxist-led Black Lives Matter movement. It's all about white lives don't matter, really, in my opinion. Let's look at the documentary Uncle Tom, the two documentaries, one called Uncle Tom and one called Uncle Tom 2, entirely financed, produced, directed, written by black Americans. And Uncle Tom 2 in particular, brutal, brutal on the legacy of Martin Luther King. Why was that? Because, and this goes back a ways in history, there was a fork in the road taken a long time ago in the black community between the belief that becoming self-reliant, becoming indispensable to the economy was the best way 
for black Americans to move forward, to have more satisfying lives, to be comfortable economically, and to be respected by people in other communities. That was the philosophy of Booker T. Washington, completely, who was a great, great man. But after the turn of the last century, as the progressive movement, which we've talked about a little bit, as the progressive movement took hold, this idea that government had to get into everything, that we needed experts everywhere, they also began to get into racial issues. And one tangent of that movement uh, was personified by W.E.B. Du Bois, who was a communist. Sorry about that. He was. He was also one of the founders of the NAACP. And his argument was the only way for black people to get ahead was to confront white people about how they were treated, uh, take on the role of a victim, and demand and demand and demand more and more and more out of the government and specifically out of the federal government. And it's been that philosophy that grew in prominence and in leadership of the black community that resulted after World War II in the civil rights movement. And it is also what has resulted in DEI and the whole milieu of really bad and rotten policies that have been negative for any, everyone in America and completely and most specifically for black people as a whole in America. This is and why now, where there was flourishing communities in places like Harlem back in the 1930s, where there was no civil rights movement and there was discrimination and segregation and laws in different parts of the country, where there was flourishing then, there's hell holes now that look like they, that they were, you know, a German city bombed at the end of World War II. First time I went to Detroit, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I just really couldn't believe it. Baltimore, same way. Chicago, same way. Parts of Los Angeles, same way. Parts of Oakland, same way. I mean, Oakland's just lost an In-N-Out Burger, a truly symbolic act, the fact that they were leaving because of the terrible crime in those areas. So that window is opening where we're really talking about the benefits and uh, uh, de detracting elements of turning black people into victims and uh, turning the federal government on everybody uh, to try to fix that situation. We're also seeing this now uh, with the recent events in the Middle East. We're seeing that with the Jewish element in our country, which, I mean, that is a total no-no. Uh, as Dave Chappelle, the black community, Black comedian said not too long ago, there's only one word in the English language that you're not allowed to put the in front of. And he was not about the Jews. You can't say the Jews in any regard. Uh, the Overton window hasn't been open to that. And I, I'm not so sure that it has been open to it yet. But the amount of anti-Zionism and some would say anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic discourse is going on now in social media and whatnot is skyrocketing, particularly among young people. And without going down that rabbit hole and discussing all of the myriad of issues around it, let's just say we really haven't been allowed to discuss the issues around it in a public uh, discourse. I remember at a libertarian 
party convention back in, I think, the 19, late 1980s. Uh, the great Murray Rothbard was in a floor debate at the Libertarian Convention because, you know, Libertarians don't believe in foreign aid. They don't believe in any foreign aid to anybody. But he was putting forth a resolution saying, we're against all foreign aid. And there were other people standing up and saying on the convention floor, Murray, you can't say that. Keep in mind, Mr. Rothbard was Jewish, of Jewish extraction. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't take foreign aid away from Israel. You can't do that. And so then he had... Uh, uh, Murray had somebody on his side of the argument stand up and say, uh, I'd like to pass a resolution that libertarians are against foreign aid to all nations except Israel, making the point uh, a little more sharply. And of course, who cares, Libertarian Party Convention. But it, it just showed the penetration of the idea of something you can't talk about, an opinion that you can't hold. And so I'm arguing now that that Overton window is even going to open in this whole area of issues because we have the Internet. We have unmediated discourse, which can reach a lot of people very quickly. And that would be, I guess, my other point, that technology has now created a situation where the Overton window can open very quickly on certain issues. And when information has been suppressed, when one side of the argument has been suppressed for years and years and years, explosions can occur. And I think we've seen some evidence of that just in the last few months. And I think we're going to see more in that area. I mean, we had, we had a state legislator. We covered this on securevote.news. We had a state legislator that retweeted a meme from Jack Posobiec, who is a correspondent on Real America's Voice, has his own show on the channel Real America's Voice, just showing in an illustration uh, the shrinkage of the number of white people on the planet from, I think it was 1960 until now, which is significant. Uh, you know, we're on a, a trajectory right now for there not to be any white people in the world in not that long a time. And of course, there are a lot of people, a lot of voices that would celebrate that. Uh, you know, this idea of ending whiteness, I mean, that's what DEI is kind of about, is the genocide of white people when you get right down to it. And so this legislator retweeted this without comment, if I remember right. And uh, he's been stripped, this is in Michigan, he's been stripped of his staff, of his budget, of his committee assignments and by the Speaker of the House in Michigan just for retweeting this. And it's factual. It's completely factual. And my argument now is going to be, you cannot, in this age, with social media, with the Internet, you cannot punish people for speaking the obvious, evident truth on a subject uh, without without an explosion coming that you might not be expecting. And, and what we're talking about here is the expansion and the moving of the Overton window. And this is one of the ways uh, that suddenly and dramatically the Overton window can open up. So why is all this important? And why am I talking about these weird things that aren't we're not supposed to talk about in a couple of cases? Um, because 
This helps you learn more about what is going on around you the broader the discourse is allowed to be. It also signals that in some areas, policy change is possible. And of course, with DEI, policy change is happening uh, at the state level uh, pretty dramatically in some states as a reaction to what has been going on for years uh, in the uh, education system and in closed policy circles. The digital age can bring things on fast, which is a big worry to our masters because there are people running around talking about things they're not supposed to be talking about. So a fast shift to the window, uh, over to the window, can bring dramatic reaction, violent reaction many times. But I'll tell you right now, more and more Americans, as they've learned what the truth about the vaccines, as they have learned the truth about the 2020 elections, as they've learned the truth about what their children are being taught and how they're being programmed, and if they're white, how they're being programmed to hate themselves and they're being lied to about their history. There's more and more people saying, we do not want to be controlled. We do not want to be told what we can think about, what we can consider, what is the truth, and we are going to doggedly pursue the truth, no matter what. So there was a book that came out in the 1940s called The Revolution Was by a man named Garrett Garrett, who used to be the editor. Interesting name, isn't it? Garrett Garrett. And he used to be the editor. Uh, at one time, he was the editor of the Saturday Evening Post, which I believe was the highest circulation magazine in America when he was editor of it in the 1930s. And his argument in this book, The Revolution Was, uh, was that if you were looking ahead and worrying that all of these progressive, Democrat, socialist policies were going to lead to some kind of terrible revolution in the country, maybe a communist type of revolution, his argument was you were looking in the wrong direction because it had already occurred with the election of Franklin Roosevelt in 1932, which I point out was almost 100 years ago. And I think he was totally right, because a censorship industrial complex emerged at that time in this country. And so uh, this has been a long time that we have not been free. We have not been free in a number of areas, including to think, to think for ourselves to take in opinions that might be unpopular, that might be misunderstood, that might be bad. But we haven't been free to do that. And people more and more are declaring their independence from this kind of tyranny over their minds. So the Overton window has been moving. The Overton window is now moving at a rapid rate in certain areas. And... It is a damn good thing, in my opinion. My name is Lou Moore. This show is called Hour of Decision. It's on News for America at newsforamerica.org. And don't forget, we have another website, securevote.news, where we cover exclusively election and election-adjacent uh, information of, of a variety of types, but all geared toward securing our elections in this country. 
Thanks. Thank you very much. Talk to you later.